listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us today and into perpetuity. If you look at your calendar and turn it back a little bit, we recorded this interview on March the 1st of 2021. Yes, still in the middle of COVID. But hey, I think we're gaining ground on it. And uh, if you're listening to this two years down the road, you're going, oh, yeah, whatever happened to that COVID thing? Well, we're living it right now and uh, getting vaccinated and, and doing all the good things that we want to do. But, you know, one thing that has not been affected negatively by uh, COVID is people's love of the outdoors and wanting to get out and enjoy just, you know, the fresh air and in particular, you know, the, the, the country in, in which we live. And, and uh, fishing in general is uh, continuing to be just, you know, uh, um, something that people are going out and doing and they're picking up as new hobbies and that sort of thing. And people are really enjoying just getting out. If you talk to a tackle manufacturer right now or a boat manufacturer, most of these people can't keep their product on the shelf, if you may, um, just because so many people are, again, getting back into maybe a hobby that they left as a kid and coming back in or starting in a new, and it's really kind of an exciting time for our industry. Um, today's interview, I've been looking forward to this. This, this would be a lot of fun. You know, they, there's an old saying, I, and I don't know exactly how it goes. It's something to the effect of, you know, if you want to learn something, you know, find the guy that wrote the book on it and uh, pick his brain a little bit, and, and uh, you'll get some nuggets of information out of that person. On, on whatever you're doing, if you're, you know, into woodworking or if you are into landscaping or whatever. But, you know, I found the guy that wrote the book on winter steelhead fishing. And without further ado and not stealing his fire, I've got him on the line, I think. Scott, you there? Yep, I'm here. Hey, Scott, welcome to uh, the Fish on Ted podcast, man. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. Well, Scott Pence is uh, uh, Scott's full name, and uh, he's a Oregonian, grew up in the state of Oregon, um, is now uh, running a very successful um, vacation rental business in a place called Sun River, Oregon. You've never been, you got to go. And Scott's the guy to talk to about that. But, you know, he spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours over the last uh, number of years uh, on the same banks that we have, uh, or in the same boats fishing for these uh, just amazing fish that are winter steelhead here in the state of Oregon. And he put his thoughts and his knowledge together. And he wrote a very popular book about, what was it, eight years ago? Something like that, Scott? Yeah, it's been about eight years. Yep. Wow. Good for you, man. What, what in the world ever came of you, you know, getting the, the, the angst, if you may, to write such a book? Well, uh, basically, I had always wanted to write a book about something. I didn't really ever know what it was going to be about. And um, I just by nature, I'm a very analytical person. And I always took very, very uh, close notes on fishing as far as when I was having success, what the conditions are, you know, what they're basically what the river is doing, different things like that. Uh -huh. And you know, I, I ultimately began to see a lot of patterns as it relates to uh, when I was having my best success. You know, when rivers are coming up, uh, not so good. When rivers are coming down, it was pretty good. So I kind of figured that out. And I think a lot of people already knew this, but it just got to, you know, it, it became very um, 
specific for me in that I would look for specific river heights that it would come into a fishable level, you know, from a t what I call the zone would be the high end of the river level that it would fish well to the low end of the river level that it would fish well. And then uh -huh. there'd be a prime somewhere in there. And so I just took a lot of notes over a lot of years, kept them on spreadsheets. And so I could just really analyze the data so I could select very specific drifts based on the river levels. A lot of people say, what's your favorite river to level to fish? And, and my answer is always the same. I don't have favorite rivers. I have favorite river levels or, you know, favorite river conditions as opposed right, right. to favorite rivers. Because, oh, interesting. You know, one river may be fishing right, you know, one day and then four days later, it's too low and clear, but another river that, um, you know, a little bit longer river, a little bit bigger river may just be coming into its, you know, better fishing situation as far as being in the zone and on the drop. Yeah. So basically what happened is I was, I got to be the guy that people were calling as it relates to, Hey, I'm going to go fishing in four or five days. What river should I fish? Where should I put in? Where should I take out? And, um, I had a buddy of mine who essentially said, Hey, I, you know, this is, I'm a grown man. Why am I asking you these questions? Let's sit down and over a couple of years and I'll just, you know, we'll take a map of Oregon and you can mark all these rivers as far as put-ins and takeouts and river levels, this and that and the other. Right. And then I won't have to bug every time I want to go fishing. And so literally woke up that morning about, you know, the night, you know, I went to bed and I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and I thought, there's my book. That's the book I'm going to write. And so yeah. that's kind of what initiated the process because I had all of my data and my spreadsheets from years of fishing and I pretty well knew the data. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just took it from there and formed it into uh, uh, a book essentially. And, and I had to figure out essentially how to put it together as it relates to format. And, you know, once I did that, I was off to the races. It was very fun project a lot very labor intensive though oh very, i'll bet so very labor intensive yeah well yeah from what you're telling me about all the spreadsheets that you were, were going through you must have gotten awful familiar with what like noah and uh reading their oh, yeah. charts and graphs and that sort of thing yep that's exactly yeah you get your data from noah and you could you know you could take any drift and and figure out what you know, was too high and what was too low. And so everything in between was fishable. And, you know, in, in that fishable section was, a, was a prime. And so that's always your target to fish the prime, but you, you know, you can't always hit the prime on stuff. And so, you, you know, as long as you're fishing in the zone and, you know, it seems like if the river's on the drop they're you know, they're, they're definitely, you know, it's after rain and that type of thing. I don't know, if, you know, the water temperature changes, the fish moving, you know, I think there's a lot of different things going on to create that uh, better fishing opportunity. But, uh, you know, if it's in the zone on the drop, that's that's when you want to fish. Wow, that's amazing. So how young were you when you kind of figured all this out that maybe you had something that, you know, this this interesting, uh, you know, uh, passion of fishing for winter sealhead? Well, I started fishing. I grew up in Southern Oregon. I started, I think I caught my first steelhead when I was 14 years old. So I fished for them for a, a long, long time before I ever, um, uh, you know, started developing data like this. I was, uh, I moved to Central Oregon, which is away from the coast. And so I had to be, you know, very selective about my trips over there. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I probably collected the data is because it's, you know, four and a half, five hours away. So I wanted to make sure, sure 
that when I was fishing, it was going to be the most, you know, optimum time to be there. So I just started collecting data. I don't know. I was probably, I think, you know, eight years ago would have put me at uh, 44. So I probably started collecting the data in my mid thirties. So I probably collected the data for eight, nine years before I, you know, this idea came to me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 years, but you know, I just, I, I collected everything in terms of, you know, for example, one time I, I, I was trying to save a few bucks on my hooks. And so I switched from, you know, one brand to another and my land ratio dropped by four or 5%, you know? And so, I mean, I, 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 you know, and, and the fish I actually missed, I didn't track that data, but I, I knew I'd missed a lot of fish. And so it was, you know, uh, more than four or 5% as far as the drop in, you know, land ratio, the fish I didn't right. hook. So I, I collected a ton of different data, you know, I, everything I could squeeze out of every trip and in, in terms of information gathering, I did. And, you know, that's how you analyze, you know, success or failure or you know sure. how to repeat success because you got to understand what went into it so right that's what i was doing wow no kidding that's a that's a lot of head scratching isn't it <laughs> well yeah but i like i say being an analytical guy and and having you know just you know using excel you you know it's easier to just enter the data and, mm-hmm. and then manipulate the you know use the data to to uh uh, get the information out of it you, you want because you can't base you know <clears throat> you know there's no pattern associated with one trip or one instance you know but sure. if that if that pattern of activity is repeated multiple times you know that well if 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 xyz happens repeatedly then it is a pattern and then you could say okay this does mean this i suspect mm-hmm. it might but it really actually does right so did you, did this then um, kind of bleed into also tracking the type of tackle or and the techniques that you were using, uh, the colors that you may have been using in in in, in the tackle and that sort of thing also? Um, to some degree, a lot of it, uh, technique wise, um, I I do a lot of side drifting, um, predominantly side drifting. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a lot of people are doing some different things now with with the uh, uh, bobber fishing and beads and boondogging and stuff like that mm-hmm. but ultimately you know i my my general feeling was is whatever technique of fishing you're doing if you're there at the best time to create the best opportunity to catch a fish that's what's most important you know how how you choose to fish as it relates to technique wise you know to me that was less important as being there at the right time and knowing when to be there and how to figure out when to be there but yeah, I mean, to some degree, you know, you, you figure out what works and what doesn't work and obviously do more of what work, what does work and less of what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so true. So true. So in, in analyzing, let's say the Wilson uh, River up in, in northwest Washington or Oregon, forgive me. Um, and and, and I, I know you spent a lot of time up in that part of the world. I mean, what what are you looking for? Because it sounds like you're, you're segmenting those rivers. And and you're just not analyzing the entire flow. You're you're analyzing different floats and and different sections, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, if you take the Wilson River, uh, you know it's arguably you know the most popular uh, steelhead river in the Tillamook Bay area. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 five rivers that flow into the Tillamook Bay. You've got the Miami, which is on the north end of it. Then you've got the Kilchis, Wilson, Trask, and then the Tillamook River. So of those uh, five rivers, you know, some, you know, have steelhead. Primarily the Kilchis, Wilson, and Trask have, you know, good steelhead runs. Uh, not to say that the others don't, but, you know, they're not as, as you know, targeted rivers. But um, mm-hmm. so Wilson essentially starts, you know, at the very top. At, you know, there's there's a number of put-ins. There's Vanderzan and, and then Siskiville and then what's called the Old Mill. A lot of people call it different things. And then there's Donaldson and then there's Solly Smith. So starting, you know, at the top, and that's that's what the, the different put-ins, takeouts are. So what I tried to do is I, I, there's maps in the book that show, you know, how difficult each stretch of the river is. And there's also information as it relates to the put-ins and takeouts. For example, you can't take out at Siskiville because it's a slide. Well, I suppose you could pull your boat up to slide and Vandersand and is the same. It's a very steep, short slide and Siskiville is a, a long one. So if you're going to put in up above, you're, you're not going to take out until, you, you, you know, you get to some of the lower takeouts um, right. and, the, and the rowing up there is, is technically more difficult. Um, and so I, you know, the map, the maps in the book basically show you how, you know, what, you know, there's color coded based on the difficulty of the, of the rowing. And mm-hmm. so the upper sections are harder to row than the lower sections. Um, so essentially um and and as you go down a river the levels change so the higher up on a river you can typically fish a higher level and then the lower into the river it has to be lower because you know as each you know each tributary that you you know creek that's feeding that river you know Mm -hmm. it can muddy up the water or make it too high to fish on and so forth and so you might be able to fish you know an upper section of river at you know you know, whatever level, six foot or yeah. six and a half or seven feet, whatever that level is, but that might be blown out clear down at the lower section of the river. So, you know, you have, so each drift is going to have a specific, you know, high part of the zone, low part of the zone, and then a prime. And that's going to change as you go down the river uh, mm-hmm. to, to typically lower numbers. Um, well, always lower numbers because of the, you know, the flows are bigger down lower and so right. you need lower flows. So it's kind of complicated, I suppose. Um, but, um, you know, it's because all of the creeks and everything feeding it as it goes along, uh, the river gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And so you need different conditions as you go down. And that and that not only affects the water level, but the clarity and, and clarity, a number yeah. of other things. So, yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. Yep. And yep. most most of your and, fishing, it sounds like it's been done out of a drift boat. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. is correct. Um, used to when I was a kid with my dad, we fished out of a you know a, a flat ba- flat bottom sled boat. But my personal fishing has primarily been done out of a, a drift boat. Um, uh-huh. Started rowing at pretty young age. My dad uh, had polio, so. He had a lot of physical problems in his back because of that, uh, because of the polio. So, you know, we, he got me on the sticks pretty young. I was 14, I think, or 15. And, um, you know, I was rowing pretty full, pretty much full time. Of course I had an older brother too, that, uh, was, was a good oarsman. He's five, five years older than me. So, Uh but I got, I got on the sticks early. (laughs) Really? No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be darned. Yeah. Well, you would, yeah, you and I talked. I don't know what was it a year ago, something like that. I mean, you had you had a little yep. bit of problem. Uh, didn't didn't you have a boat go down or something? Yeah, I sure did. Um, 
you know, after I, I think it was 37 years of rowing a boat, um, I sunk my drift boat last last year, and it was a pretty scary event. Um, oh, bet. 39, 39 degrees. We had just caught two or three fish. Well, we'd caught one or two in one hole, went down the next one. We got two or three. So it was setting up to be a pretty good day because we didn't really have, you know, we hadn't been in the drift very long. Right. And um, we kind of felt like we got all the biters out of one hole uh there was another guy in there fishing and we were kind of going fish for fish and then we made a couple passes didn't get any bites so i decided to drop out of the hole and go on down mm -hmm. and basically i was you know after rowing so many years i think you get overconfident and you get complacent and you don't pay attention the way you should and when you do that mistakes happen and you find yourself swimming for your life because that's yeah. exactly what happened so basically we hit a, we hit a rock sideways and it, it, you know, the lower side of the boat in, in the river was kind of pitched up on the rock. And then it just dipped the upper side of the boat down into the current and it filled up and sunk in about three seconds. And, um, wow, had really two good friends with me and, uh, you know, the water was 39 degrees and we were in pretty, pretty heavy water at the time. And, you know, luckily we managed to, uh, to make it to, uh, we didn't make it to the bank by any stretch of the imagination. We ended up getting on some willows that were out in the middle of the river, and uh -huh. the the guy in the the boat up behind us saw what had happened, and so he came and picked us off the the, <laughs> the willows like kind of wet rats, and it it was pretty scary. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, overconfidence and complacency complacency is exactly what made that happen and i just can't you know as, as a person now i guess 38 years of rowing i have a tremendous amount of respect that i perhaps should have had and didn't have and i now always wear a life jacket and if there's mm -hmm. one thing that anybody can get out of this this podcast is wear your life jacket especially when you're winter steelhead fishing that water's cold and you really don't have a lot of time for survival and you know I, I feel like i'm you know pretty good at, at, at what i you know fishing and rowing a boat but oh yeah you know, overconfidence and complacency will get you in the water and if you don't have a life jacket on it's not good oh so true and you're right i mean things can go wrong so quick so fast and mm -hmm. and you know you could have floated those those sections of rivers you know 200 times and never you know, okay. never had a problem there, but for whatever reason, yep. the level of the water was just a little different and, you know, maybe you had the big guy on the left side of the boat and, uh, this was the time, you know, that you hit that rock and, uh, you yep. just never, you just never know. You described it perfectly. It was just, you know, you just never know. And I, and I can say to you, that boat went down in less than three seconds is what I would guess. And, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't time for anything but trying to save your life and you know one of my friends in the boat had a set of waders on without a uh, a belt and uh -huh. they filled up and it i'll tell you it was uh it was pretty scary uh, he's a very strong physical person and if he wasn't i don't know that the outcome would have been the same yeah wow no kidding now did you retrieve the boat yeah i did amazingly enough um it, yeah, you know, I, I, the water levels were inter they were pretty low for the, a lot of last winter where I was fishing. And, uh, so I went and bought a drone mm -hmm. and I took my son cause he's, you know, he's 14 then, and he's much better at flying a drone than I am. 
but we looked and looked and looked. I made multiple trips with that drone and I just could not find the darn thing. And then uh, two months later, almost to the day, two months later, we got a call from the sheriff's department and someone in their house uh, that lived on the river could see it. And so we went over and, you know, had some just really kind people allow us to access their property. And uh, we, we got a winch and we winched it out and got it. And it spent, it went down the river about a mile. And it um, went through a class four set of rapids and it was underwater for two months. And I'll be darned if that boat was not, it was repairable and I'm fishing in it this winter. <laughs> so it's wow. a, kind of a testament to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I, it's an aluminum boat. I'm not a glass boat guy, which, you know, everybody has different opinions, but mm-hmm. that certainly impressed me that a boat could go through that much and still be repairable. Absolutely. Well, let's plug the manufacturer. But uh, Woody Rowe. Oh, it, it, it's a Willy boat. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 I've all, my brother uh, bought. I think the number sixty-eight Willy boat ever made. He he ordered it okay. before Willy could uh, actually manufacture after he left the Luma Weld, and uh, and I just have always felt they built really good boats that row extraordinarily well. Uh-huh. And now I know they're super tough too. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really, it's a 17, and it's just uh, pretty happy with it. It's not very wow. pretty anymore. Maybe a little pain will fix that up, but I think I'm going to run it the way it is for a while, just to, just as a good reminder. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You are a blessed man to be where you're at today. Holy smokes. Yeah. That uh, could have turned out to be a whole lot different. Yeah. Yes, so, so, yeah. yeah. So, so, Scott, you have a, let, let, let's pretend, right? That you've got a nephew that comes up to you and goes, "Hey, Uncle Scott, I want to get into you know fishing for steelhead, and I've never done it mm-hmm. before. What, what do what mm-hmm. do I do? What and, and what are you telling?" Gosh, well, I do have two nephews, and one of them's a particularly good steelhead fish, and I, I'm <laughs> probably for my nephew. I'd say, "Would you take me and show me how to do this?" Because pretty good. Very good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, gosh, you know, I I really. You know, it's a hard thing to to learn. There's no question. I think that, uh, you know, it depends on the resources, but, you know, financially, as far as whether they're in a boat or on the bank. But the first thing I t- tell them is to figure out conditions and understand, you know, these conditions. I would explain to them, you know, what I've learned about conditions and try to encourage them to fish in the best conditions, because no matter if you're on a bank or you're in a boat or you're, you know, gear fishing fly fishing bobber fishing you know put yourself in the best conditions to you know mm-hmm. create your best opportunity for success and so that's the first thing i think a person would need to to learn uh you know and try to understand and wrap their mind around so that they're you know because you know i i read posts all the time people fish for you know two three four months you know and and finally catch a fish and i just wonder every time i see that what conditions are they choosing to fish you know are they are they fishing the right conditions? And if, if they're not familiar with how to, you know, they call the steelhead a fish of a thousand casts. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you don't know how to catch a steelhead or fish for steelhead and you're positioning and, and, and so you're already challenged out of the gate because you don't really know, you're not familiar with what you're doing. And then you put yourself in a very difficult position as it relates to conditions that just makes it exponentially harder. True. So even if, don't know what you're doing if you put yourself in the best possible conditions your chances are going to go up significantly and 
you know, and once you catch a fish, you know, then confidence changes and you feel, oh, this is something that can be done, you know, because it seems mm-hmm. like it's impossible, you know, to catch one of these darn things out of the gate until you, until you catch one and then you catch another and then you, oh, this isn't impossible. It's a very doable thing. Right. Um, you know, you, you, your confidence builds. And I think with your confidence, it, uh, you know, it, it just, when you're confident in something, you're going to be successful at it. Right. So I would say, conditions i would say you know a lot of people you know i fish you know obviously i've fished for them for a long long time i still fish with guides from time to time and i i you know i learn every time i go fishing with a guide and you know if, if you'd never fished with a guide uh before um you're you're going to learn an enormous amount of information uh, about strategies techniques and you, you know that type of thing so and again, that becomes a financial thing, uh, choice. And really, you can look at that as an expense or an investment. And really, if it if it will catapult you forward, you know, and save you a hundred trips of learning, you know, or fifty or whatever that number is financially, it might be pretty similar as far as the 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 cost associated with it. Even though it's expensive, if you spend X amount for fifty trips or you know whatever, it might balance out pretty well. Yeah. So, yes. So true. Well, and, and the other thing is that there's so many people that uh, start out steelhead fishing on the bank and, and Mm -hmm. although there's some great bank fishing around you, you don't get the exposure to all of the, you know, as as many fish as as you do out of a drift boat. And if you're going to go float for a while, you may have, you know, 50 fish, take a look at your presentation while uh, in a drift Mm -hmm. boat where you only may have two or three that look at it uh, on a day on the bank, you know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Now, in in regards to the bank fishermen, because we I don't want to exclude them really, um, but the, mm-hmm. obviously their their opportunities are less. But how can they take the information that you have put together in your book and and have shown people? How can they use that to their advantage? Well, like you know, the the book I wrote is on that north coast here in Oregon. It's you know the Nahalem, like I say, it's, well, it starts at the Nahalem. It goes to Nahalem, Kilches, Wilson, uh, Trask, Nestucca, uh, Silets, and Alsea. So that's the rivers it covers. Um, uh-huh. And the answer to that question is the conditions, whether you're on the boat or you know on the bank or in a boat, are the same. So True. the point being is that you know if you you know, get position yourself to be fishing in the most favorable conditions to catch a fish. So mm-hmm. if you're on the bank or in a boat, either or, either or, you're, you know, you always want to position yourself so you could look at the, you know, the river levels in, you know, all of these rivers and, and then go compare. And I, I, in the book, I go through, you know, where to go on NOAA to, to find, you know, the information and whatnot. I explain all of this in the boat, uh, in the book. And so you would then go to Noah and say, okay, this river, the Wilson is, you know, at this level, uh, the Trask is at this level, the Nestuck is at this level, and the Halem is at this level. So that means if I, based on this information, this one here, whatever that might be, is in the best zone, or, you know, the best level, and it's on the drop, so that's where I need to fish. And mm-hmm. again, whether you're on the bank or in a boat, um, put yourself in the most favorable conditions to give yourself the best opportunity to catch a fish as mm-hmm. opposed to being stuck to a favorite river. 
you know, right. in, in my opinion. Now, that's again, that, that's just a personal philosophy. A lot of people have a favorite river because they know every rock, every nook, every cranny, and they can catch fish in there in just about any conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you have to keep that with a grain of salt, too, because, again, I'm not fishing seven days a week. I'm traveling four or five hours. And so, and I have some flexibility with my schedule as far as um, being self-employed that mm-hmm. I can pick days that a lot of times people can't. Um, right. But the main thing, like I say, is fish conditions. Yeah. Conditions are everything. Well, and you hit on something there that I think is really important is that, you know, there are a lot of people that have a favorite river, you know, whether you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, people that have a favorite golf course or a favorite mountain yep. to hunt that they're going to hunt. But if they're mm-hmm. really after, you know, catching fish, if that's their, their real priority, they need to learn a little bit about a lot of rivers. Do they not do, to take advantage of what's going on on any particular day um, to increase their yeah, chance? That's, that's my, yeah, for sure. That's my personal philosophy because, you know, if you get, you know, if you're on the right condition and you get a couple pods of fish coming in, you know, to, you know, out of the, you know, out of the bay or up the river because you've got the right conditions, you know, the, you know, those fish are, you know, that's where you want to be. You know, you don't want to be on your favorite river when maybe it didn't rain there, you know, previously, yep. or maybe it didn't bump, maybe it's low, maybe it's, you know, the water temperature is low. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of things you want to be where those pods of fish are working up the river because, those are the ones that are going to be biting. Mm-hmm. That's so true. You know, I've got a, 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 yeah. a, a, a young guy that follows us, and, and he sent in a, a, a couple questions that he I, he knew that we were going to be interviewing you. And he lives mm-hmm. in Dallas. His name is Eli. Eli oh, McKinney. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and he's just started into uh, steelhead fishing with his dad, Brad. And they're having mm-hmm. a little bit of luck and having a lot of fun, you know, getting started and that sort yeah. of thing but if you lived in dallas um yeah. what what river would you target if you were in that that area well i think you know for 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 dallas the first thing the first river i think you come to is um i'm trying to think of ge- you know geography here I, I you know i think you're pretty close to the nestucca you're pretty close yep. to you know and, which is only 20 minutes away from the trask and the wilson and and mm-hmm. the halems up north of that but your closest river is going to be, I think, the Mistucca. And there's some great bank fishing. I don't know if they're in a boat or they're in a, uh, on the bank, but there's some great bank fishing spots up and down the Mistucca. Uh-huh. Um, and then also if the water's really high, and I didn't include this in the book, is you've got three rivers, and they get a nice, they get an early run of, um, of hatchery fish that come up there. And a lot of times that three rivers, you know, when the other rivers are really high, it's very short, but, you know, clean up really cl- quickly. And so, yeah. you know, there's some opportunity there that, that may not necessarily occur when, when the rivers are too high. Mm-hmm. Um, the south of there, I don't know geographically how that ties into the Silets and the Al Sea, but I think the Silets would be, uh, you, you could just drop down to Corvallis and get over to the Silets, the upper end yeah, of that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I would say that, you know, the Nestec and the Silets are probably the two closest, but you're really in range of, you know, five good rivers. If you exclude the, um, <clears throat> you know, if you exclude the Nahalem is because it is a little farther up North, you yeah. know, but yeah. yeah they, but so you've got just a ton of opportunity as it relates to, uh, you know, looking at those conditions in all of those rivers. And it's not going to be a 20, 30 minute difference between 
any of them, frankly, to, mm-hmm. in, in terms of which one you choose. So you choose those conditions. Right, right. Well, well, that makes sense. So in all the all the years that you have been fishing, do you have a particular fishing trip other than the one maybe this year where, you know, you had a little bit of excitement in, in the boat? Um, <laughs> um, do, do you have one particular fishing trip that kind of stands out in your mind going, you know, that was really cool? Yeah, uh, there's two of them that really come to mind on that. Uh, I'll name one of the rivers, not the other, but uh, one of them was um, on the Wilson, and I I just saw a bump in the river, and I just had a feeling about it. It was a little later than I would normally have concerned myself. I just had a weird feeling about it, and I went up there. I had a day to fish, and then I had to leave the next morning by 10 o'clock. Uh, because I had to come home for a function and so but I was I was going to stay the night and I was going to get that daylight till 10 o'clock and we hooked uh, 21 or excuse me 31 and landed 21 in that period of time holy moly yeah it was amazing and you know some of the fish were you know had been in the river but I would say 75 percent of the fish were fresh out of the ocean had sea lice on them and we were fishing low we were fishing uh you know, down to Solly from Donaldson uh-huh. and, and the old mill there. Um, but it, it, you just couldn't keep them off the line and they were just hot fish and it was just so fun. The weather was just beautiful. And, you know, you're just like, and by then everybody's up, you know, fishing for springers, uh, you know, cause you know, a lot of times, a lot of people get off the steelhead, you know, get on the springers, which is, to right. me is great. Cause I, yeah. I don't target them. And so we had the river to ourselves, and just amazing fishing. And it, it just didn't matter what you threw out there. You were going to get one. <laughs> and no uh, so that was a really cool trip. And I had another, a friend that in his boat and I don't know how many they got, but it was the same situation. You're just fighting fish and, you know, just giggling, <laughs> you know, just, just <laughs> relentlessly. It was so fun. And then, I had, I'll say that I had another two day trip in Southern Oregon. Um, so I'll just leave it at Southern Oregon where I got 20, gosh, what did I do? I got 21 on the first day and 22 on the second day or, or the other way. And, you know, it's just, you, you just, you know, so we, where we landed, you know, 43 in two days. And I mean, you know, steelhead fishing, that just doesn't happen. No. You know what I mean? You know, oh. steelhead fishing is, you know, you get one and you've had a, you know, you've had a successful day, you get, you know, four or five, you've just really, you know, you've done well, you know, you've really mm-hmm. and so just once in a while in life, you'll just hit, you know, the jackpot. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of those, uh, and, you know, I used to do pretty good and, you know, I, it was not uncommon to get 10, 12 fish in a day, but to get, you know, 43 in two days or, you know, hook 20, 31 and land 21 in a day and a half or not even quite a day. And, you know, it's just, you just, you just, you're glowing. <laughs> you know, so, That's insane. Yeah, once That's in a while, absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while, the stars align perfectly. And, you know, if you're on your game in the right spot and, you know, and that comes from, you know, I mean, like I said, I used to fish a lot more than I do now uh, yeah. just because of, um, you know, some coaching and things like that. But, uh, you know, if you're on your game and really with it, you know, sometimes the, the stars align. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. So I, I ask a question. I did. Go ahead. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing that was a, a pretty specific fish. Um, 
uh, not this last year, year before, um, I took my daughter and, uh, and she, um, you know, she had reeled in fish, you know, growing up, I'd hook them and hand them to her, but she hadn't really ever hooked and landed her own steelhead, you know, to, to speak of. And so a friend of mine and I took her and, uh, we got her a couple of fish and, and, you know, the first, we, we only could fish a couple hours in the afternoon, the first day. And then the next day she, you know, we had all day and, and, uh, she, uh, she hooked and landed her very first steelhead that she hooked and landed was 39 and a half inches and it was a fresh fish and you know they say if it's not 40 it's not 20 right so if it's not 40 sure. inches it's not 20 pounds but uh, right. 39 and a half inches on her first steelhead she'd ever hooked and landed i was pretty close to a 20 pounder I, it was wow <laughs> wow that's a proud yeah. papa holy smoke yeah that was that was not necessarily the good day, but a good specific fish. Well, no, it was a good day, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, so yeah. that was that was super cool. Yeah. So, so I ask most of my guests the same question, and if you had woke up tomorrow morning and you just knew through a dream or whatever else that you only had one more fishing trip in you, that's it. Mm-hmm. Where would you go? And who would you be fishing with? Oh wow! Oh wow! That's a that's a good one. <laughs> um, well, man, it would be really hard to choose who to fish with because there's a a lot of people I'd want to fish with as far as good friends, my brother, my family. You know, so uh-huh. I you know I don't think you could do that steelhead fishing right because you've well, got, you well uh, you might need to, to turn that drip boat into a sled for the day huh yeah or something <laughs> yeah so it would be you know some close friends and my brother and and uh-huh. uh, my kids my wife I don't know I'd have a pretty full boat because yeah <laughs> that's cool man yeah so um and as far as where gosh oh man um. I don't know what the, whatever the conditions told me that's where I need to be probably <laughs> I do I do enjoy oh man that's a good one that, I I'll tell you there's so many drifts I just love uh-huh. you know I like I love that Wilson I love the Umpqua system you know I'm not you know I love uh the selects in the fall one of, one of the funnest things that my my son and I and a friend do is we we watch that selects religiously for you know specific conditions that you know mm-hmm. we've talked about and if we can hit it right we just hammer the fall chinook um bob really? fishing oh, that's uh-huh. a good trip so <laughs> i don't know that's that's a tough one i there's too many choices there yeah well it's, oh, it's yeah with knowing the knowing the rivers and the water conditions and that sort of thing that that you do and and knowing how involved you are with your family and that sort of thing, you uh, you you have a tough decision to make on some of those. But, uh, yeah, I don't uh, think I could. Yeah, that would be. I I I think I've successfully evaded your question because I don't know that I can answer that. <laughs> well, and oh, just a little yeah, bit more about you. Yeah, you're a, you're a pretty accomplished uh, archery hunter, aren't you? Uh, I, I would. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know how to define that. Um, yeah, I've yeah, I've done pretty well. Uh, but I I'm not specifically an archery hunter. I do uh, hunt both uh, archery and rifle, um, uh-huh. and I've had you know with success with both. Um, I would say I'm, yeah, I, I yeah, I guess I've done pretty well. 
Well, good I, for you. I, have, I know a lot of people who do a lot better than me, but I, I guess I do a lot better than a lot of other people too. <laughs> sure. So. Well, you got your kids involved in archery too, don't you? From what I recall on like uh, Facebook and stuff. Yeah. So my daughter, she um, was really active. She's she's out of high school now. She was really active in NASP, which is um, target shooting. Uh, we uh-huh. uh, went to nationals. Uh, I think uh, all four years in high school, um, and so wow. we traveled to. That's cool, uh, Salt Lake and Kentucky, uh, yeah, Louisville, Kentucky, I think three times and then Salt Lake once. And, uh, she, she did really well with that. Um, my son, he's, he's a rifle guy. Um, uh-huh. and my, my other daughter, she's, uh, she's a rifle girl. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we're, we're, as far as actual hunting, we kind of do both. Um, which here in the state of Oregon is going to change because, uh, you know, you're going to have to select your weapons on application so that'll get a little tricky for us because we re, you know we enjoy both um mm-hmm. it's kind of I'm, I'm not a purist i guess is what i'll say yeah but you yeah. like to hunt elk with a bow and i think i shot one my closest one was 11 yards Holy but moly. i also on the other end of the spectrum i have my wife and i've gone through like a long-range shooting school and uh-huh. have a long-range gun and there's there's definitely uh a really fun aspect of that too as far as you know being proficient at shooting out to a thousand yards or whatever your number is so you yeah bet. so kind of <laughs> we're all over the board on that but we do enjoy hunting as a family yeah. there's no question well terrific well scott i want to thank you so much for joining us today um i know that you published your book a number of years ago as we mentioned it was eight or ten or something like that um but there are, mm-hmm. are still some copies out there that are available and, uh, mm-hmm. and and I know they're sort of in limited supply. If you were someone yep. that was getting into the sport and wanted one of your books, uh, where would you find it right now? So I don't have them in stores anymore. Um, I just sell them through my office. I own a vacation rental management company in Sun River. And uh-huh. um, so if a person wanted to, to, to get a book, I do have, like I say, a pretty limited supply left. Um, you just call my office and, and it, 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 the phone number is 1-800-541-1756. And okay. they're going to answer as, uh, they're going to answer as sunset lodging because that's the name of my vacation rental company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, you know, I try to warn people. It's like, Hey, they're going to say sunset lodging. Um, and they'll think, well, I must have the wrong number. No, that's, that's my company. And they right. say, Hey, I need a steelhead book and they'll ship one to you. Very good. Very good. We'll, we'll, we'll be putting that in the show notes also, um, if that's all right. And um, yeah, you uh, bet. Appreciate it. I would, I would imagine that uh, uh, with the listeners that we have uh, throughout the nation and as many people that are really are targeting in on Steelhead, it, um, you know, that that would be a very, very good resource for people to have. So, well, Scott, yeah, again, yeah. I want to thank you, man. Hey, this has been a, been a fun conversation getting to know you. And, and you and I uh, have had our, our paths crossed a couple times over the last few years. Yeah. And just want to uh, thank you again for participating in this. And, uh, you know, tight lines and, and uh, you know, best of luck to you and all of your ventures. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.